This is Real Estate Rookie episode 323. My system now is I have my contractor come in on every job and just walk through everything we want to do and then just bid a price. Um, and then we set that price and then his, that's kind of like his incentive because it's like, okay, if, if this job is going to cost us 20, if I'm going to pay you 20 grand and you get it done in three weeks and you just made 20 grand in three weeks, if I'm going to pay you 20 grand, but you're going to take eight weeks and you made 20 grand in eight weeks. So my name is Ashley Kerr and I am here with my co-host, Tony J. Robinson. And welcome to the Real Estate Rookie Podcast, where every week, twice a week, we bring you the inspiration, motivation, and stories you need to hear to kickstart your investing journey. And today we're back with another guest. We got Matt Ramirez on the podcast. And uh, Ash is going to talk a little bit more about Matt as an individual and why his story is so unique. But Matt's going to share uh, a couple of really important things for you. He's going to share the worst way to pay a contractor. He's going to share how a panic attack at work pretty much changed his whole life trajectory. Uh, and he's going to talk about how to find off-market deals. So lots of great content coming your way. One thing that we learn about Matt in this episode, he is going to tell us how he lost 80% of his income during COVID. Then he has these life events that happen and almost forces him to become a real estate investor to survive. He also ends up having to move cross country to live with his father-in-law and how that actually might've been a good thing for his real estate investing. Are current interest rates making you depressed about cash flow? What if it didn't have to be that way? Rent to Retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller financed 2.99% interest rate where the average cash flow is over $900 per month. They also have options where you can put as low as 5% down on multiple investment properties with no PMI. Rent to Retirement is the nation's leading turnkey investment company that understands what it takes to be successful in today's dynamic real estate market. Their reputation speaks for itself with more five-star reviews than any other company on the Bigger Pockets website. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed, allowing you to invest with confidence in the markets that offer the best returns. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's rent. T-O, retirement.com, or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. Remember when you had to pay to get a lead's phone number? It was like the dark ages, until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. 
Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Matt, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us today. I want to have a little fun before we actually get into the full episode and play a game. Are you up for it? Always up for a game. (laughs) Okay. So we're going to play two truths and a lie. Okay. I'm going to read these and I want our audience to guess which is actually the lie. So if you're listening right now, pay attention. Okay. And don't reveal what are the truths before... um, We've, we've let Tony guess. Okay. We'll okay. let Tony be our guesser. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. So here are the three things made six figures as an entrepreneur operator of a corporate focused fitness company for 10 years. Second one is trained sea animals and performed on stage weekly with a walrus named Gus for five years. And the third is You were a part-time stuntman on 50 different TV shows and movies. So, Tony, what do you think is the lie? I I feel like the most outrageous one is usually the truth. (laughs) So I'm going to say the lie was was a part-time stuntman on 50 TV shows and movies. Okay, so... So you really were friends with the walrus named Gus is what I'm I'm getting at here. (laughs) Ash, what about you? I'm going to say... I'm going to say the corporate-focused fitness company for 10 years. I'll say that. I'll say the two more outrageous ones are correct, and I'll say the the fitness company for 10 years is a lie. So I, I wish I had uh, experience working with Walrus, but uh, yeah, that, that one is a lie. <laughs> we should have known our producer's imagination was that good. <laughs> right. Yeah, so I did work as a... Uh, I did own a corporate fitness company for about 10 years, and I have been a stuntman since uh, 2015, so almost almost getting to the 10-year mark. So, Matt, I'm, I'm super curious, man. We've had over 300 guests on the Ricky Podcast, and I think you might be the first professional stuntman that we've interviewed. Um, how does how does one even get into that line of work? Is there a stuntman school? Do you have to get a certification? Just give me the the quick 30 second background on how you became a, a stuntman. Yeah. So it's, it's really, there is no school. I mean, there are schools that you could go to, but there are no requirements as far as getting into stunt, doing, becoming a stunt performer. Um, essentially, it's the same as becoming an actor. It's, I mean, you just got to be in, LA mostly you could be in Atlanta now and a couple other places, but you just have to be in the scene and then you just have to kind of network with the right people and just find auditions and different things. And it's really just a, a networking game. I mean, obviously you have to have the skill set and put in the, the reps to get there. But uh, at, at the end of the day, it comes down to being in the right place, right time and 
can go in from there. Ash, the way you face planted uh, off the the wake boat <laughs> last weekend, I feel like you you might have a future in the. And I took it like a chair. There you go. <laughs> you took it like a chair. <laughs> um, so so Matt, I, I mean, I, I guess I'm I'm super curious, man. How does one go from kind of being a a stuntman um, to then being a, a gym owner uh, to then being a, a real estate investor? Like, what was the the kind of progression there for you? Um, so as far as that goes, it was really the pandemic. Um, so in 2020, it was, business was doing pretty good. We were probably doing like 12 to 15 grand a month uh, with the corporate wellness. And then um, I was doing stunt work a little bit on the side as well. And then uh, pandemic really just flipped our lives upside down. Um, we had just had a baby and my wife and I were living in Santa Barbara at the time. And like quickly within probably three months lost like 80% of my income um, just because all my contracts were with companies and everyone went to work from home. So I had no, no money coming in from that. And then stuff, the film industry shut down. So I had no money coming in from that. Um, I did have a couple clients that I was seeing just via zoom. So that kind of saved me a little bit, but uh, yeah, that was kind of the start of it. And then um I actually did have a backup plan already in place, like not because of the pandemic, but I wanted to step out of the corporate wellness realm. And I was trying to become a firefighter for LA fire department. And uh, I had a couple of friends that were already like on the department. They're like, Oh yeah, you're, you're shooing. Like you already like got a company. You're like well set up for that. Um, you're, you're pretty fit, not as fit as Tony Robinson, but you're, you're up there. <laughs> And then I was going along in that process and then I got to the last interview. And from that point, it was going to be one interview and then go to um, the fire academy. So we had about like three to six months before really anything started. So my wife and I decided to um, just take kind of a road trip and go to Tennessee um, just because we knew we had some downtime and I was just working remotely anyways. And on the way out there, uh, I got a call or I guess it was probably email and they're like, oh, unfortunately, you haven't been chosen for the last interview. Like you're you've been cut from the process. And it's kind of one of those moments, just stomach dropped. And I was like, oh, but like, what do you mean? Like, I just lost all my income. Like, this is my next play. Like, where do I go from here? And uh, yeah, that was kind of the the start for searching for something new. And during that process is when I came across um, originally the bigger pockets, the OG podcast. And I started listening to it, but really like listening to those episodes, I was like, oh man, this guy's a, a neurosurgeon. Like I, I'm not smart enough to like get into real estate or this person's got like hundred houses. Like how am I ever going to get to that point? And then luckily I came across your guys' podcast and there's just people that I felt were relatable. And I was like, wait a minute. Like, it, like I feel like I'm in the same at like walk of life as them. Like I, I can figure this out. And, uh, that was kind of the, the beginning of my real estate journey. So once you started doing all this research, was your wife on board as to you're going to completely change what you're doing and kind of start into this new business? Um, yeah, I mean, she was on board from the sense of like, at the time, like really like, I was like, well, I lost my business like firefighting didn't work out, at least at the moment. And then stunts was still shut down. So I was like, I don't know what else I'm going to do. Um, 
So she was on board just because she's like, well, got to do something to make money. So like, why not try something new? So just one one thing I want to just pause on really quickly, Matt, because you're you're talking about this very, very calmly now. But I would assume in that moment, there was maybe a, a level of stress that you were you were dealing with. You know, your your business comes to, you know, do a, a fraction of what it was doing before your side hustle, the whole industry gets shut down. And then this other kind of steady, stable job as a firefighter, you know, you end up not being able to take that opportunity as well. So just like in that moment, what was kind of going through your mind? Like, were, were you in survival mode? Were you, were you going crazy? Like, how does, how does one kind of deal with that kind of, that kind of setback? Yeah. I mean, to be honest, like when we got to Tennessee is kind of, I was, I was looking at jobs every single day and like, what can I do to make money? And, uh, at one point I just hit the panic button and I was like, all right, I'm just going to get a sales job. Um, and, uh, it ended up being like a cold calling. And actually, I guess to take a step back, First, I was like, all right, like I can, I can flip a house. I can figure it out. My father-in-law who lives in Tennessee, who we were living with at the time in his guest house is a, uh, or used to be a contractor. And I was like, I know I can use him to like help me just like I'll find a house and I can renovate it with him and we'll get the ball going. But I went to get, um, cause I didn't know about hard money or anything like that. So I went to get pre-approved and the lender was like, no, like you were making good money, but you're not now. And, and I was like, well, but I have like, you know, the stunt income and it's starting to ramp back up. And, and, uh, I don't know, different lenders might've said different things, but he was like, no, cause we pretty much look at that. Like it's a business. So since you had a decline last year, you need two more years of like an incline in the stunt in that world in order for us to lend to you. So then I was like, uh, all right. So then I hit the panic button there, went and got a nine to five um, and ended up working there and just hating every day of it, just cold calling. And I was like, this is not me. Like, I'm not meant to like be sitting in an office doing a job like this. Um, but fortunately, through that job, we were able to buy our first property, which when I got it under contract, my intention was to flip it. And then my wife... Uh, just uh, dropped the bomb and was like, oh, we're, uh, we're actually pregnant and having another baby. So we need to get out of my father, father's house and like live in this house herself. So I was like, well, uh, all right, here we go. So we ended up instead of well, that one still need to be renovated, but instead of flipping that one, we just moved into it. Um, and then <laughs> we were, I was probably about three weeks into the job and I had a, I don't know if you call it a panic attack or what happened, but uh, just passed out essentially like at my desk and my wife took me to urgent care and uh, everything checked out luckily, but I ended up putting my two weeks. I'm pretty sure I bought that house or like closed on that house without even having a job. So I don't know if there's such thing, but I think I might have job hacked myself into the house. That's what I wanted to ask is how long did you have to have your pay stubs for to get that financing lined up? Because, you know, they're saying for a business, you need two years of income for your business. But then for a job, I mean, it doesn't seem like you worked there for two years. And is it four weeks of paychecks you need or how was that for you? So, and it might be different in like different areas, but I, I learned that from this show. And I don't know uh, if it was you, Ashley, or you, Tony, that said this, but one of you 
was talking about how somebody kind of did this and just got what their first pay stub and then was able to go do it. So that's literally what I did. Like, I, yeah. It was probably maybe my sister because she didn't even have her pay stub yet. She just had her offer letter that she was starting yeah. Yeah. like a month or something like that. Yeah. Same thing happened to me on my first deal. I had gotten a new job and they approved me based on that offer letter as well. So it is a common thing that some lenders will do. But isn't that crazy, that comparison of like, okay, you're an entrepreneur. You need two years of your yeah. tax return to show income. But oh, you're you an can, employee. You can, yeah, that's way better. That was the crazy part about it too. Because like with the stunts, like, I mean, I wasn't like killing the stunt world, but like, I think in 2019 or 2020, even maybe my tax return said I made like 80K. And then this job, like I was, it was like entry level. So starting out, I'm like 50 or 55K. And I was like, wait, I made more than this last year, but like, you won't approve me because it was a decline from the year before. But now you're approving me based off this lower number. And that was just like one of those things that I was like, all right, just threw my hands up. I was whatever you say. How long did you actually work at the job for then? Honestly, I think it was like right at a month because I had that like panic attack or whatever, took like two, three days off. And then I I went in, put in my two weeks, but they were like, well, like we have like sensitive information. So like if you're quitting, like this is your last day. And I was like, all right. <laughs> like, that's a bad thing. Like, oh, you okay? <laughs> yeah, I was like, ah, if I must. But Matt, can we, can I ask, like, what was, what was the plan? Because you, you, you know, your, your other sources of income had still kind of been impacted. Um, this was supposed to be the kind of thing that, that kind of got you over the hump, at least for a little while. You bought this house with the intention of flipping it, but it sounds like now this became your, your primary residence. Like, wh- like, what was the plan in that moment to like, you know, I guess survive and put food on the table and, and, and kind of keep the, the income flowing in? Yeah. So fortunately at this time, so now we're like early 2021. So the film industry had opened back up and I was doing stunt work again. And just because of like proximity, like living in Tennessee, the cost of living was so much more affordable than California. I was at a point where I was able to make enough just based off of um, the stunt work. And it was, it was tight and it definitely like wasn't at all where I wanted to be financially, but I just knew like, okay, like I'm making enough that we can get by and then I'll figure out what to do from here. And I was still interested in real estate, but that was still actually before I even did my first real flip. So let's talk about the first flip because the first property you actually moved into and made it your primary correct? Yes. Okay. So then you're going on and you're buying the next property. How long after that first initial purchase did you find your, your actual first investment property? Um, so it was probably about like three, three to six months somewhere in that window. Cause I definitely had a lot of just analysis paralysis and just really scared to take the, the leap of faith. And, um, and then finally it was, it was actually one of my cousins, that um, kind of pointed this out to me and he's like, well, you've already done a flip. And I was like, no, I haven't. And he's like, well, he's like, you have this house that you live in, you renovated and added value. And I was like, yeah, but I haven't sold it. And he's like, well, go out and I forgot what it's called. But essentially when you have a, a realtor come and tell you like what they think your house is worth. Um, so he's like, go out and have a realtor come over and just tell you how much they think the house is worth. And we bought the house for 225 and then the realtor was like yeah you could probably sell it today for 280 so it's like well there you go like you've already proven that like you can 
make money doing add this. Add value. Yeah, yeah, add value. So then I was like, all right. So then, uh, and luckily, like at this point, I'm like a year into listening to Bigger Pockets. So I know about hard money. I know about wholesalers. Um, granted, I didn't have any like in my pocket, but I just started doing my homework and connected with a, a wholesaler and then ended up using hard money to get myself into my first flip. I think a really big common question is how do you get hard money as a rookie investor, especially with having no experience? And even though you did your primary residence, there wasn't that actual, you know, a appraisal or that sold comp to, to kind of show what you had done there. How did you kind of find a hard money lender that would lend to you? So for me, I found one that would lend to, to any rookie or really anyone. And it just, they just had higher rates and higher points up front. And then once you were vetted, I think once you had done four deals with them, then you got like kind of a, a veteran package or your rates got lowered. But, um, in the beginning, yeah, I mean, because of that risk they're taking on you, they just charge more up front and you're just, you're kind of just paying, paying for it in that sense. But you factored into your numbers so that it all works out. So you're still making a profit on it. Yeah. And and that was the thing too. Like at the time, like I didn't really, because I didn't have much income coming in, I had a little bit from the stunt world. Um, I was like, well, you know, if I make 10, 15 K, like that's a lot more money than I'm making, not doing anything else. So I kind of, the margins were like pretty tight on that first one. And honestly, the, the market, I won't say necessarily like saved me because I definitely, even if I was wrong, I would have made like 10, 15,000. But because the market was so good in 2021, I made a lot more than I thought I was going to make. Matt, if I can, if I can ask, right, I think a lot of new investors feel like they have to kind of have all the answers before they get started. We actually just recorded another podcast out, uh, episode earlier today, and that same guest kind of touched on that that same idea about like you have to push past that fear of not knowing kind of the finish line and just knowing the next step. Um, but for you, like with this rehab, I mean, you, you came from a totally different world, fitness, entertainment industry. Um, how did you even educate yourself on, hey, what are the steps of rehabbing a home? Were you doing YouTube University? Was there some other resource you had? Like, how, how did you even know what to do? Yeah, so that's that's where I was like super fortunate and blessed in the sense that my father-in-law who lives out uh, in Chattanooga um, was a retired contractor and I kind of brought him out of retirement and was like, Hey, uh, help your, you know, your grandkids and your family by helping me and teaching me what you know. And, uh, so he came alongside me on the, the first two flips I did and, uh, just kind of taught me, you know, some basic drywalling and painting stuff. And I by no means picked it up quickly or am good at it, but, uh, I, I learned what I needed to learn to get through those first couple of deals. So Matt, were you DIYing? It sounds like on a lot of those, or were you bringing in subs or how did you kind of manage the the workload? Yeah. So the first two flips I did, it was a hundred percent DIY. Like it was just me and my father-in-law and we did everything from painting, installation, some basic plumbing. Um, yeah. I mean, they, they were a little bit more cosmetic flips um, the first two at least, but, uh, definitely it was, it was all us. And then have you progressed to using contractors? Um, actually we haven't even touched on how many flips you've done yet. 
Do you want to just give us that little breakdown first as to how many you've actually completed since that first one? I think I, I just sold one, um, closed on one yesterday that I sold. I think that was number 10. And then I'm working, I have two going on right now. So. And what time frame is this in? This is a little over a year. Yeah. Yeah. About a year and a half. Yeah. yeah that's wow. awesome. Congratulations. I think that's something we really need to go into detail on here is how were you able to scale and take on that many flips at once? Because here you are, your first investment property, it's you and your father-in-law in there doing the DIY. So how were you able to scale your business so you're able to do that many flips with, within a year and a half? Yeah. So it's really, I mean, it's like you said, like, I mean, just go back to the question, like scaling, I, I didn't, had no clue how to do it at first. And I still can't say I really know how to do it. But, um, the third one I took on was when I really, I tried to like, cause my father-in-law was kind of a little burnt out and just like, and the house that I purchased was a little further out. So he didn't want to drive out there every day. So I was like, no problem. Like I'll hire a contractor. Like I'll, I'll just kind of go out on my own. And that one was, uh, I, by far the biggest learning lesson. That's the, the only one to this day that I actually lost money on. Um, just cause there are so many lessons to, for me to learn along the way. And it was through that one that I kind of developed most of the relationships I have now, like my, um, my contractor that I have now, I found through that job, but he was the third contractor I hired for that one house. Um, which is how I end up losing so much money is just cause I kept hiring people and firing them and just kind of jumping from one to the next. Um, but it, it was definitely a process to, to get to that, to the point I'm at now. I just want to give a quick shout out, uh, episode 311 with, uh, a guest by the name of Sean Kelly. He breaks down how he DIY'd, uh, I think all of his rehabs, at least the first several as well, similar to you, Matt. But if you guys are looking for uh, kind of a, a masterclass breakdown on how to DIY your own rehab, episode 311 with Sean Kelly would be a, a great resource. Um, so Matt, j- just going back to you. So you said that you had to hire and fire uh, a lot of people with that that first one you kind of did on your own. Um, I think that's the fear for a lot of rookies who are thinking about flipping properties is that they're going to get scammed by a contractor. They're, they're going to get bad work. That someone's going to run off with their money. Um, what were your steps for uh, sourcing these different folks you were working with, the different subcontractors and contractors? And I guess what were some of the lessons you learned that you've applied to your, your future deals? Yeah. So as far as sourcing, um, really, I, and I still rely pretty heavily on this. I just went, there's a local Facebook page here in Chattanooga um, where you can just put in what, like ask for what you're looking for as far as uh, businesses go. And I mean, it's not specific to real estate, but uh, I just said I was looking for, I, I think originally I, I might've said I was looking for a contractor, but uh, anyways, um, said I was looking for a contractor and I just hired this guy because I, I interviewed, I think three of them and I made the mistake of just, hiring the one that I jived with best. I was like, Oh, he's, he's young. He's, you know, entrepreneur. Like, I, yeah, you got the job. And, uh, I didn't realize at the time that he actually didn't really have much, uh, construction knowledge. Cause there's a thing that I didn't know in Tennessee at the time, but you can essentially get your contractor's license in Tennessee without any work experience. It's just 
a test that you have to pass and anyone can more or less hack the test. Um, so he had a crew, but he himself had never really done construction. Um, and his crew was, I won't say they were awful, but they were, they were learning and I was not in a position where I could afford to pay someone to learn. Um, so I ended up letting him go. And then uh, you, you would have thought I would have learned from the first time, but I went the exact same route, went on the Facebook group, hired another guy that then I was charging me by hour, which was another mistake I learned. Like never hire a contractor, and at least in my opinion, and pay him by hour because he was just dragging his feet. And I think three weeks went by and they had put up some trim and that's, that's about it. And I was like, what, what do you guys do all day? And they're like, Oh, well, we got to fix this and fix that and just blame it on the other contractors, which some of that was probably true, but I think most of it was just them dragging their feet. Um, and then through that process, I, so the, the first crew that I hired at one point, one of their cousins came in and just was like essentially showing them how to do drywall. And that, that was kind of like one of the first red flags. I was like, wait, you guys don't know how to do drywall. And, uh, anyways, I got that cousin's number just randomly and he reached out to me like a month later and was like, Hey, if you ever have any other work, I was like, ah, yeah, I need you like yesterday. Um, so he came in and just kind of saved me towards the end. And, uh, that was, yeah, flip number three and we're on 12 now and I'm still with that same one. Whether you need to buy or sell or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find the home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours, even the same day, with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
Rookies, 2024 is the year to start protecting your rental properties with an LLC. But you don't have to do all the paperwork and filing yourself. Corporate Direct is your professional and affordable option for getting your LLC done right. They handle the state filings, draft your operating agreement, and act as your registered agent. They'll even help you comply with the Corporate Transparency Act, a new federal disclosure law affecting every real estate investor. Corporate Direct is a family business founded by attorney, author, and rich dad advisor Garrett Sutton over 35 years ago. Now, his son Ted is a licensed attorney working with him. Together, they've helped thousands of real estate investors form and maintain their LLCs and protect their assets. If you're trying to build a real estate portfolio, do not skip the LLC. Head over to corporatedirect.com slash biggerpockets to schedule a free 15-minute consultation with an incorporating specialist. Mention Real Estate Rookie and get a $100 discount on your formation. That's corporatedirect.com slash biggerpockets. I just got to add really quick, like what a, what a, like a nerve-wracking thing to walk into as an investor to see the guy that you hired to hang your drywall getting coached by someone else on how to hang drywall (laughs) like that is it's like the ultimate red flag like the only thing that might be worse is i'm like i don't know like having a youtube video up like hanging drywall 101 or or something yeah that was pretty much the extent of it though i mean yeah those two go hand in hand well matt tony and i have definitely uh, had similar experiences where we've had to fire contractors during the middle of projects and go with someone else. What was the like final decision of like, it is going to be more cost effective in my mind to fire them than to just continue the project? Because for me, it was like, I let it go on for a while because I just thought it's going to be you know, we're going to have to stall the project. We're going to have to, you know, wait and find new contractors. We don't know when they will start. Like, do we take the risk and fire these ones or is it worth the wait to find new contractors? So what kind of went through your mind during that process of like, I need to fire them now? Yeah. So with that first crew, it was really like, I didn't, I felt like I didn't have a choice because it's just very obvious. Like after the first week and a half, two weeks, like they don't know what they're doing. So it's just like, I can't, I can't afford to let this run to the very end and then find out like, oh, I actually have to redo everything. So it's kind of just cutting my losses there and just letting them go. Um, with the second crew that I just kind of locked out like timing wise, like I was scared of like letting them go and like not having someone else to come in. And that's when uh, my contractor I have now reached out to me and was like, Hey, if you ever need any, work done like you know here's my number i'm available da, 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 and that's and i was like yeah so i i essentially like the next day went to the existing contractor and just let him go and then that guy started a couple days later so i mean if it wasn't for him reaching out to me i honestly yeah, i probably would have let it drag on for another couple weeks and who knows if where that would have gone. But yeah, we, uh, Tony and I definitely struggled with that <laughs> for a little bit on, on two of our projects of having to make that switch to a different contractor. Uh, but I, you mentioned Matt about like the paying by the hour, just before we move on, I want to get your insights on that. What is the downside to paying by the hour and what is the better alternative? So I would say the downside to paying by the hour is just, I feel like it just gives the, just the, contractor, whoever you're paying, I guess, by the hour, just the opportunity to just kind of drag their feet and, you know, a job that might take them two hours. They're going to 
doing four hours because you're paying them by the hours. So like they have no, no incentive to work faster and work harder. Um, so I would say that's the biggest downside is just there is, there's more incentive for them to work slower than there is faster. And then as far as the alternative, um, like my system now is even though I'm going to hire him no matter what, just because we have a good thing going, I have my contractor come in on every job and just walk through everything we want to do and then just bid a price. Um, and then we set that price and then his, that's kind of like his incentive. Cause it's like, okay, if, if this job is going to cost us 20, if I'm going to pay you 20 grand and you get it done in three weeks and you just made 20 grand in three weeks, if I'm going to pay you 20 grand, but you're going to take eight weeks and you made 20 grand in eight weeks. So he's got that incentive to just work a lot harder and work a lot faster. And like, I mean, I'll show up to my jobs on, on Saturdays at like, you know, 6 PM and they're there just working. I mean, like him and his crew, like, uh, yeah, just so blessed to have them because they're just workhorses and they get it done. And I mean, if I had that last guy who was, I was paying by the hour, like I would probably be paying him twice as much as my current crew. Yeah. The the right crew makes all the difference when you're honestly, even taking a step back, the right team as a real estate investor is probably one of the most important things to get right. Because if you can surround yourself with the right boots on the ground, with the right contractor, with the right property manager, with the right whoever, uh, it makes your job as the investor, which is really trying to find the deals uh, and maximize the the profitability, makes that job easier. Um, but I, I guess on that note, right, finding the deals, Matt, what, like what steps have you taken to find out of these, I guess, 11 or 12 properties you've done or are in the progress of completing, uh, how are you finding these deals? Are they all MLS? Are you going direct to seller? Are you using a wholesaler? What methods have you used? So I've kind of used them all. Um, I think out of the 12, I bought three um, on market and then the other nine have been off market. Um, I, I would say I had a good wholesaler that I was working with pretty consistently and I probably bought like six deals with them. And it was just like, like I literally got to the point where I was like, is this, am I doing something wrong? Like this seems like it's almost like too easy right now. Like I have this person like feeding me deals. Like I got a good crew, like just everything's like lining up. And then, uh, I went, I like, I didn't hear from them for a while and I went, <laughs> I reached out to them and, uh, they just kind of ghosted me. And then finally one of their employees, reached out to me and was like, Oh, I'm so sorry. They let me go. And they just shut down shop. And like, I, I don't know what happened, but, uh, anyways, that was like the begin beginning of this year. And at that point I was like, uh Oh, what do I do now? Well, let, let me ask that question. I mean, how'd you find that first wholesaler? Because I think for a new flipper, the deal flow is oftentimes one of the biggest constraints is like, how do I find these good off market deals? So what steps did you take, Matt, to find that first wholesaler? And then once that one kind of shut down shop, what steps did you take to find that that next wholesaler? So that first one I found um, through our local um, like uh, real estate RIA or meetup group or whatnot. Um, I think I was on their Facebook group and somebody, another wholesaler, was posting something and then I just started like I just started scrubbing through the the Facebook group and looking for all the wholesalers and just either emailed or called all of them just to get on their list. And then this one just seemed to be the most consistent as far as just putting out deals. 
Um, and then I guess as far as the second part goes, just luckily from being in this area and doing the real estate for the last year and a half, I kind of knew, even if I wasn't working of them, I kind of knew of and about a few other wholesalers. So I just kind of immediately started reaching out to them and was like, Hey, I'm looking for deals. If you have anything. And then that's kind of now the last couple of deals have been through various different wholesalers. Um, I haven't really found like one that feeds me my deals like the, the original one was, but Tony, I'm curious how you are sourcing deals right now. Yeah. So, um, honestly, we, we haven't been buying as much on the single family side right now. Um, we're looking more into the commercial space. So, uh, you know, my, my team and I are really just trying to network with commercial brokers at the moment to find most of our deals. So, um, we just got a purchase agreement kind of, or at least an LOI, uh, that we agreed to over the weekend for a hotel in Utah. And, um, on that deal, like it was just us networking with a broker from that I met last summer, uh, that ended up having another deal in that same city. So that, that's kind of been our approach on the commercial side, but on the single family space, uh, a lot of our deals, honestly, have just kind of come from relationships. So we have relationships with, uh, realtors that send us off market deals, whether it's a pocket listing or, you know, maybe a wholesale deal that they found. Uh, we do know some wholesalers in the markets where we flip. Um, and really, yeah, it's, it's been a lot of relationships for us. Uh, what about you, Ash? Yeah. Relationship based is such a big, big way to, uh, get properties, but really a lot of it is referrals as far as like word of mouth. Uh, so somebody saying like, oh, my aunt is selling a property. Daryl was working on a property the other day and somebody stopped and was like, I want to rent this because I'm going to sell my house. So right away when Daryl tells me this, I'm like, you call him back right now and tell him you want to come and see his house and we could buy his house and he can rent this apartment. It's a win-win. But um, also we have a property under contract that's on the MLS. And then the other property that's under contract right now was a word of mouth. My One of my dad's best friends, his mom's house that we're buying. So uh, that's really been the the biggest deal source for us right now. As just, uh, have you cold called before? Have you done like just straight cold calling owners? I actually had, um, I have before a couple times, but I actually had Nate Robbins here who is actually going to be a guest on our episode because of my experience with him. So he came to visit me and we're just driving to get a chai tea and he sees this house with like letters in the window, which usually can signal that, Somebody is not living there or maybe they are, but there's, you know, a, a third party company taking care of the property, doing the lawn maintenance or the bank has foreclosed on it or there's like a violation, whatever it is. So he found the owners and he cold called them and he didn't get any response. But it was like so nerve wracking for me because I do not like <laughs> cold calling. And then he actually found somebody who is related to the person that owns the property. And he's like, they live like five minutes from you. I'm going to drive over there and go talk to them. And that even more, I was like, I'm not going to go. You guys just go. I'll stay here. <laughs> and he was like, the lady was so nice. Like you can't be afraid of those things. And so that's why I have Daryl. He does all like the direct mail, the cold calling, he'll door knock, no problem. But um, for me, that's like out of my comfort zone. And I'd rather have, you know, my partner do that. Someone else do it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, that that's always like leaning into where your strengths are as a real estate investor. Right. And each of us has to kind of know where we where we kind of naturally thrive. Um, Matt, just just one, one other follow up question for you on the the wholesaler piece. So you, you said that you reached out to all these different wholesalers. 
Um, what kind of information were you giving them about you as a buyer? And how were you kind of able to tell between who the good wholesalers were versus the not so good? Because like, you know, I've, I've shared like my, my email address on Instagram before and I say, Hey, send me deals if you're in this market. And a lot of times I get like just things that aren't, aren't good deals. Um, so how, how do you kind of suss out between the good and the bad? And then what information are you giving them about yourself? Yeah. So as far as information, I mean, I think I'm just essentially kind of telling them where I'm buying. Um, like for me personally, I'm mostly focused on flipping single family homes right now. So I kind of share that and then just the general area. And then I honestly haven't figured out how to tell, like just by talking to them, like the good and bad ones. Um, it, that really just comes down to like, once like I get on their radar and they start sending me deals, it's like, you know, I just, I'll just start looking at the deals and use prop stream and comp them out. And with that, I can kind of just tell like, okay, this guy just sent me like five properties in a row that are all junk. And like, there's, can't really flip any of these. Like I would be a negative on all of them versus this guy. Like maybe he just sent me two in the last month, but both of them seem pretty profitable. Um, so just kind of going down that path. Matt, if you had to give three pieces of advice to somebody who's starting out flipping a house, what are the three things they should focus on to maximize value of that property? To maximize value? Um, I'd say the biggest things are kind of curb appeal because obviously like when you, when you come up to the house, that's, you know, the first thing you're going to see and then even going just back before you even get to the house, like looking at uh Redfin or Zillow or whatever you use, like the first photo you see is that the exterior of the house. So making sure that looks nice. Cause I feel like a lot of people focus on the inside so much that they kind of forget about the outside. And it's like, Oh, I just, kept the uh, old mailbox that's fallen over and that's like right in the center of the frame of my photo. Um, so that's big thing and you don't have to do anything fancy, but just some landscaping and just maybe a new mailbox and uh, yeah, obviously fresh paint and whatnot. And then I'll go from there to the kitchen. Cause I feel like for a lot of people, that's kind of the, the first area they walk into, even if it's not, I mean, obviously, usually it's not the first room you walk into, but a lot of people kind of just walk straight through the living room or whatever, don't really pay too much attention to that and just go to the kitchen. So if you can kind of create that wow factor in the kitchen, which is one of the things that we go for. And then the third thing, which I think I actually stole this from uh, AJ Osborne. Is that his name? He's like a self-storage guy. Oh, no, not AJ. Uh, who's the one that's... Uh, James Daynard. Yeah, one of them. And he was talking about just value add in the the bathroom and just doing like tile floors versus like LVP just because like at the end of the day, it's going to cost you pretty much the same price, like maybe like, you know, 50 bucks more or something. So just things like that. It's like we always tile the bathroom floors and like put in tile in the background, just little things where you can add a lot of value without adding a lot of price out of your pocket. Um, so yeah, I guess just, starting with outside of the house, then moving to the kitchen and then the bathrooms. And those are the biggest three areas. I feel like if you can control those three areas, then the rest you can kind of play with and you'll, you'll definitely win or hopefully win. So Matt, one of the questions I always have for uh, our friends and the guests that, that flip homes is the systems they're using to kind of make this 
whole operation run efficiently. So I'm going to hit you with some rapid fire questions and just let me know what system software, uh, yeah, whatever, we can do that now. Just what kind of, what kind of systems you're using to, to manage that. So first, like when it comes to budgeting, how do you keep track of the money coming in and out for your flips and kind of comparing that to your original budget versus what you actually spent? Yeah. So essentially I have two spreadsheets that I use and it's, I mean, very basic, like Google spreadsheets. Like I don't pay for software as far as that goes. Um, but I have one of my like initial budget that I create. And then once I go live with a project, I have another, and then I just kind of plug and play all those numbers. And then I'm able to compare of like what I originally thought I was to where I'm actually at. Um, so that's like the, I don't know, it's pretty basic to be honest. And I just enter everything myself. Like I don't have anyone doing the counting for me, but uh, kind of helps me keep on track. And then in terms of like scheduling, uh, are your contractor, do you, like is your GC the one that's kind of scheduling all the subs at this point? Or are you manually scheduling the subs yourself? And if so, what's, do you have like a tool for, you know, making sure that your, I don't know, your countertop guy is going in before your guy doing the backsplash? Um, I don't. And that's something that I'm still kind of learning the process on. So I, I am the one that hires out all the subs and kind of sets the schedule for everyone. Um, I kind of know just from trial and error of like who needs to go in what, when, and like I've made that mistake before of like my uh, hardwood floors. One time I had done before we painted just cause I didn't know. And I didn't really think about it. And he was like, what are you doing? Um, and, uh, but yeah, I don't have a system for it. It's just kind of, in my head. And yeah, to be honest, <laughs> that's one of my goals for this year is just to like get better at systems and processes as far as that stuff goes. Well, Matt, I want to take us to our rookie request line. And this is where a rookie investor sends in a question for a guest to answer on our show. And if you would like to leave us a question, you can go to biggerpockets.com slash reply. So today's question is from Tyson Mazingo. Okay, I am having trouble with finding a market as well as trying to determine what types of deals I will do in different situations. My plan is to find a very low cost area to invest in since I have very little money to get started. I want to flip a couple properties to build up capital and then begin to burr as much as I can, continuing to flip some deals at the same time. Here are what my problems are. One, what metric should I use to find a market? If you can break it down step-by-step, step, that would be amazing. <laughs> Number two, how do you decide if a deal would be better suited to flip versus burr? I intend to do both to continually build capital as well as cash flow, but I need to figure out how to decide which strategy I will use for each specific deal. So Matt, the first question is, is how to find a market. So how did you decide on the market that you're investing in? So I decide. I mean... I kind of just decided on the market that I was in because me personally, especially the approach that I was first taking is I was completely hands-on. So I wanted to work within a market that was 30 minutes to an hour of my house. So I could realistically drive there every day and be the one swinging the hammer and hanging the drywall and doing the work. Um, so I would say if that's possible, I feel like that's the easiest place to start is just start in your own backyard um, obviously depending on you, where you are, like, you know, I was in Santa Barbara prior to this and I wasn't going to 
I don't see a way that I could have started with multi-million dollar homes flipping those. So yeah, you kind of just have to hopefully start with where you are. But then if that doesn't work, then I would say the next thing is just kind of looking around and starting with maybe where you have connections, because that's going to be the, the next biggest thing is who do you know in those areas that can help you out and be the boots on the ground for you? Yeah, that's great as to where you have an opportunity or an advantage. Maybe that's knowing someone or maybe you grew up there and you know the streets. There's something to give you that little bit of edge um, and make you feel a little bit more confident. Okay, so the second part of this question was, how do I decide if a deal would be better as a burr property to rehab it, rent it out, or to flip the property? So I think that's just up to each individual and their kind of finances and what they have going on. Because, I mean, I guess if you do, if you have the money and you do a perfect burr, then yeah, you can kind of just keep going with it. But I actually just... uh finished my first burr about, I don't know what well, I'm just actually waiting for the money to come through today. Um, but, uh, just finished the project like a, about a month or two ago and got some renters in it. And I'm, I mean, I'm not leaving a ton of money in, but I'm going to have to leave in. I found out about 30 grand into it. And luckily because of the flips and I had that income coming in, like I, I'm okay with not having that money and it's not going to hurt me per se to not be able to recycle that money right away. But I think it really comes down to that. Like if you, if you were to do the numbers and it turns out like, Hey, I need that 30 K in order to keep the ball moving, then flip it because then you can take that 30 K buy another house. And then once you kind of build up a nest egg, then you can kind of go back to the burr method. Um, but I think it's just deal by deal and just what kind of resources you have under your belt. And I think another thing to point out too, Matt, is you did a great job of, you know, becoming experienced and knowledgeable at flipping a house first before you went in and did this burr. Like you focused on that one strategy uh, before trying to navigate two or three different strategies at once. And that would be my advice to Tyson is to pick one market and pick one strategy to start and kind of get a feel for that one strategy and become knowledgeable and confident in it and then kind of branch off and do something because you're going to have a lot more deals to to vet, to analyze if you're trying to go after more than one strategy. And you're also going to be building systems and processes for two different types of strategies also, which is just going to kind of weigh you down and you won't be able to grow and scale as fast too. Yeah, I will say my third flip that I did, I actually went into it thinking it was going to be a burr and something that I stole from one of those episodes was uh, doing the uh, rent by the room. So I took a four bedroom house, turned into a a seven bedroom, four bath. And I was like, oh, this is going to be great. Like I'm going to just make so much money and just like spent way too much money, went way over budget, realized I couldn't burr it and then had to flip it. And then it turns out that not that many people want a seven bedroom, four bath house. That's just you know, only 2,200 square feet or something like that. Lessons learned though, right? And, and that's the the part of being an investor is each deal kind of teaches you something new, brother. So I'm, I'm happy to hear that you, you learned something at least. Um, cool, man. So last thing we'll finish out with is our rookie exam. So Matt, these are the three most important questions you'll ever be asked in your entire life. So are you ready for question number one? I'll try. All right, man. What's, a, what's one actionable thing 
people should do after listening to your episode? I think just reaching out, like if you're interested in whether it's flipping or any aspect of real estate, finding one person that you can reach out to. I think that was a game changer for me. I would listen to an episode and if it was somebody I jived with, I would literally just like DM them on Instagram or just find a way to reach out. Um, even if it's, you know, just going to your local meetup, but I would say just starting by just networking and putting yourself out there. The second question, what is one tool, software or app that you use in your business? A prop stream is definitely probably the, the most important one that I use because I'm I probably comp out two, three houses a day and I'm constantly looking at things. And if it wasn't for prop stream, uh, I don't, well, I'm sure there's other software, but I don't know how people comp outside of that. All right. And then question number three, where do you plan on being in five years, Matt? So five-year plan would be essentially to be financially free from the aspect of just having enough rentals and passive income that I can, I mean, I I truly do love flipping and I, I don't see myself stop doing it anytime soon, but I would just like to have that comfort level of knowing like, oh, I if I want to take this year off and go travel in Europe with my family, like I can do that. And I'm in a place where I can dictate what my life looks like on a day-to-day basis. Love that, man. Yeah. Well, we're excited to see you hit that five-year goal. Uh, before we wrap things up today, I just want to give a quick shout out to this week's Ricky Rockstar is Michael Mills. And Michael says, finally sold our first flip eight months of work and then under contract to sell for four months. I was beginning to think it would never happen. Michael, kudos to you for getting that first flip done. And we're excited to see where your next one takes you. Matt, can you let everyone know where they can reach out to you and find out some more information about you? Yeah. So, uh, I think the easiest way probably is, uh, Instagram. It's, uh, it's very fancy. It's, Matt's M-A-T-T-S double underscore because I was late to the game adventure um, and if you really just are bored and want something entertaining you can just uh, Google Matt Ramirez stunts and watch my stunt reel well thank you so much for joining us today and taking the time to educate our listeners on your real estate investing journey I'm Ashley at Wealth from Rentals and he's Tony at Tony J Robinson on Instagram And we will be back on Saturday with a Ricky reply. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com slash deals enter a few details about what and where you want to buy, and boom, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. There's free resources only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. 
get an agent, get the deal and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.